Today we're going to be finishing this series, the series on the building blocks of life at Life Spring. It's been really good. I have loved the last, I think we're, we're in week seven of this series. I've enjoyed speaking to you on these subjects, these subjects that matter here at Life Spring. I hope it stirred you up. I hope it stirred you up, made you think. Maybe, maybe you feel a little uncomfortable at times. Maybe I've said something that's frustrated you. Maybe even not make you too happy with me. But guess what? I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to help you grow in all aspects of your spiritual life. The good, the bad, the ugly. And you know, there's a lot of reasons why I chose to do this series. Back in the fall, I was reading an interview with Ron Mel. If anyone knows who Ron Mel was, he was an amazing pastor in uh, Beaverton, had cancer for decades of his life. And um, for over 30 years, he was in this church, Beaverton. And he talked about preaching. And he was uh, interviewed by Preaching Today, I think. And they said, what advice would you give to a pastor, a first year senior pastor? And he said this, the first year is the most important year of your preaching. Preach about what matters to you. Preach about your values. Preach about the foundations of the gospel, what you believe in and why you believe it. And so that's really what I've tried to do this year. With a big transition like we went through in 2012, it was important for us to find our footing to find our footing, to define once again who we are, appreciating and valuing, valuing the past, but also looking forward with eager anticipation for, God, what, what, for, God, for what God wants to do in our future. I told those closest to me that I expected this series to be kind of a sifting experience. I intended our attendance to be refined, a.k.a. to drop. You're failing. It hasn't happened at all. <laughs> looks like I was wrong. And I thought this series would give us an opportunity to find out who was on board, ready to go wherever God might want to take us. I'm not interested in building a large church, but I am interested in building strong disciples of Christ. That's my passion. And I believe it's God's heart for this church as well. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. His eyes range to and fro to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. We want to be a church that has God's attention. I've noticed over the past six months as the new pastor on the block, so to speak, there's been a certain level of interest, intrigue, excitement about our community and um, with the transition that's been going on. It's been wonderful to see all the new faces, uh, see different people come and check out the things that God is doing here in our church, church community. By the way, the same thing is happening right now down the road at Hope Foursquare. They just, uh, they just appointed a new senior pastor at Hope. I would encourage you, if you're still looking for a home church, check it out. Literally, they're like a nine iron away. They're just a couple blocks down the road. Uh, go out and check it out. I'm excited for them. I'm praying for them. I'm meeting with their pastor actually after I meet with you this morning. By the way, did you know we're on the same team? We are. And it's pretty exciting that we have a member of our team just a couple blocks down the road. But here at LifeSpring, this series, in many ways, it's marked the end stages of the transition that has been taking place here at the church. Pastor Chad and Yvonne, they're now pastoring in Clarkston, Washington. You've had six to seven months to really get to know me, to hear me speak, hear my heart, watch and observe the various ministry leaders as they lead through the church. You've gotten a chance to hear our music. You've seen our programs. I pray that the Lord has either confirmed within you that this is your home or that it isn't. Because guess what? The honeymoon's over. <laughs> the honeymoon's over. It's time to get to work. And I am full of faith for this community. I'm full of faith for you. I'm excited for you. I love you. I can't wait to see how God is going to challenge you and I. How he's going to grow us. 
to make a difference for his glorious kingdom in this dark world. And, you know, this might mean some hard work, some inconvenient, even uncomfortable work. Don't you know that God hasn't called you to comfort and convenience? Anything worth doing well will take some effort, some time, maybe some blood, sweat and tears. And I've learned a couple of things over the past nine years of being a pastor. One of the things I've learned is that people in a church are only willing to work hard for the kingdom of God. If first they are committed to God and secondly, they are committed to the church and its vision. And I'm seeing wonderful examples of this all around me. We have a dynamic leadership team that is second to none. Our ministry leaders and our volunteers are the best. I want you to know when I talk to you or when I talk about you to other pastors, you can ask Adam this, you can ask Mary this. I talk well of you. I never put you down. I never make fun of you. I never talk as if I'm embarrassed by you or wishing that you were more than something that you are. I love live stream. I am so happy here. I love being here. You are my joy. I care about you. I am believing for God's best for you. But again, I was not appointed as your pastor to make you comfortable, to make things convenient, or even to make you happy. I'm not your personal butler or your complaint department. I'm your pastor. I'm here to shepherd you, to lead you, to point you to Christ, the good shepherd. And as your pastor, I've loved these last couple of months. The opportunity to share my heart with you, walking us through these building blocks of life at LifeSpring. We started with the word of God. And then we went into Jesus and the plan of salvation. And we talked about prayer. It was beautiful when we were broke into groups and we prayed for one another. We need to do that soon. Worship, community, love God and love others. Marriage and children. And today, finally, purpose. It's our last building block, purpose. At LifeSpring, we will live with purpose. When we do things, they will be done with purpose with intentionality and mindfulness. Working hard and just accomplishing a lot of well-meaning tasks is not going to be good enough. John F. Kennedy said that efforts and courage are not enough. They need purpose and direction. Efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. Everything that we accomplish here will not amount to much of anything without it flowing through the river of purpose. And where is that river heading? It's flowing directly to God. The river flows from God and it flows to God. We find our purpose in Him and Him alone. Everything we do, all of our programs, all of our events have one common purpose. To love God and to bring Him glory. Paul says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it what? For the glory of God. About 10 years ago, churches kind of began to realize that this purpose thing really matters in church. Churches without a common purpose were wandering, really, without identity, without focus, were becoming increasingly ineffective in their influence for Jesus Christ. So several books were written, and churches all across this nation began coming up with purpose statements. Every pastor began quoting Proverbs 29:18. I heard Proverbs 29:18 in sermon after sermon after sermon. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And it sounds pretty dramatic. And pastors, they don't want to put on their resume that they had no vision, so their congregation perished. So they, they remedy that. And all the various church members, uh, leaderships began to come up with, they have different names for them, uh, vision statements or mission statements or purpose statements. And for the most part, I, I think it's really good. I think it's been a healthy transition. 
for churches to ask that question. Why do we exist? Why are we even here in Edgewood? What's the big deal? Why do we exist? Did you know that we have a purpose statement at Lifespring Church? Did you know that? Two years ago, after a long time, like two years of meetings, discussions, time in prayer, we felt the Lord had given us a purpose statement. It was a pretty powerful experience for us. So much so that when Pastor Chad and Yvonne moved to Clarkston, we still felt like this was our purpose. Our purpose had not changed. I mentioned it about once a month. Anyone know what it is? Just raise, don't tell me, but raise your hand if you think you know what it is. Absolutely. Now, some of you, you're new to our church and you might, maybe aren't familiar with it. At this time, I want to make you familiar with it. All right, we'll see how this goes. I want everyone to feel under your chair. If you find a card underneath your chair, I want you to raise your hand or give out a shout. Might take some effort. Don't hurt yourself doing this. It's like an Easter egg hunt. Next time we'll hide the eggs easier. You know, for the little kids, you make it really obvious. Oh, where's the egg? Oh, like, where's the egg? All right, so I'm going to ask you to read what's on your card. Uh, we have a little gift for you for your uh, participation, but who has number one again? Raise your hand if you have number one. Okay, so Corky, if you can go over there. Go ahead and stand up, Lee. So this is number one, oh, the first you. part of our, our purpose statement. Number one, because we love God and love people, we will win people for Christ. All right, let's give a hand for Lee. Number two, we've got number two. way over there, Corky, you got to run. Way over there, good job, Corky. <laughs> it's like Phil Donahue. Donahue. Yeah, I remember Phil Donahue. Number two. Number two, because we love God and love people, we will build strong disciples. Great. Let's give Rachel a hand. Number three. We got Jason in the middle. Number three, because we love God and love people, we will send missional leaders. Amen. Let's give a hand for Jason. There it is. There it is. That's why we exist. That's why we are a church of the four square gospel right there. For a long time, I struggled with the word win on, on number one, uh, win people for Christ. It was unusual to me. I came from a church where you would never use a churchy word or a phrase like win people for Christ. I wrestled with that word. But as I prayed to the Lord and talked to the Lord about it, I realized that's exactly what God was calling us to do. Whether it sounds churchy or not, he was calling us to reap a harvest, to win souls for his kingdom. Now, others might say that leading people to Christ and winning people to Christ, it sounds like a game. Is this just some game that Christians play where we try to win people for Christ? Well, number one, no, it's no game at all. But number two, let's say it was a game. Let's say it was a game. Some of you know I played basketball uh, at, in high school at Auburn Riverside High School. I averaged 16 points a game my senior year. I made eight three-pointers in a game my senior year, and I actually did it twice in two different games. And if you added up all the hours, the time, effort, and energy that I spent playing that little game that we call basketball, all of that time would add up to years of my life that I tried to put that little ball into that little hoop. I traveled around the state playing AAU basketball when I was Trevin's age. I played through junior high and senior high. In high school, every morning during the summer, we would practice from 7 to 10 in the morning. And then Monday through Thursday, every night, we'd play somewhere else for a different game. You play and you play and you play. You practice and you practice and you practice. Why? Because you want to win the game. You don't want to lose. 
You dedicate all your time and energy into this one thing so that you can win. Can you imagine the difference we'd make in our community if we put that kind of energy that I put into basketball and instead put it into something of eternal value, the winning of souls for Christ, bringing people into his kingdom? Can you imagine if we spent every morning practicing and learning and training to be effective witnesses of the gospel and then went out every, every night uh, proclaiming and preaching what we had learned, teaching, preaching, evangelizing to those who needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is actually a dream that I have for each one of us in this room. I don't think winning people for Christ is a game. It's much more serious, much more everlasting than a game. But if it were, it's a game that I want to win. So at LifeSpring, we're all about... Soul winning. Soul winning. I want to show you a clip from the movie The Apostle. I hope it reflects our passion for the lost. Therefore, when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, live. Son, can you hear me? You don't have to say anything. Just know I'm here to help you. I'm a minister of the Lord. I want you to know the Lord loves you here today, and I love you. Now, if you can't answer, just nod. If you can't nod, just, you know, think it. Answer me in your mind and in your heart. If the Lord would call you right now, would you be ready? You accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Are you ready for him? Are you ready to follow and accept him at this very instant? Now, if you open your heart and let him come here, he will stand with you whether you go home or whether you stay here with us. And if it in your time, he'll stand by you, brother, both you and your wife. He'll deliver you through this entire ordeal. Now, listen to me now. There are angels, even in this automobile at this precise moment, He'll send his angels here to watch over you. Now, do you accept him here today? Thank you, hey, Jesus. Mister. Thank you, Jesus. You have to get out of there. You can't be in there. You hear me? Yeah. And Let's when go. The, and when the ambulance gets you in the only way, you're going to fly down the highway. Lord's going to have a whole flock. His angels lead you on that Come on, get out. He's going to go all the way with you. You've taken the Lord today. He's going to go all the way with you because you both are his champions here today. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Don't have to thank me, son. Thank the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're in his hands now. Bless you both. Bless you both. Whenever two or more gathered in my name, there would I be also. Mister? I'm sorry about this, but you got to go back to your car. You can't be out here. You're not allowed here. I understand that. It's a powerful scene. I I love that scene. But in our world, as we lead others to Christ, most of the time it's not going to be after a serious automobile accident 
But don't you know sometimes it is? Raise your hand if you've ever had the opportunity to lead someone to the Lord soon before they died, maybe on their hospital bed or maybe at their home. Just go ahead and raise your hand. Look around real quick. That's amazing. Go ahead and put your hands down. That's amazing. It actually happens a lot more than we would think because God is amazing in his love for his creation. Second Peter 3, 9 states, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But as much as I know that the Lord uses us to bring people into his eternal kingdom during these times of sickness or, or tragedy, God is speaking to the sinner long before they ever reach their deathbed. And his voice to the lost is going to sound a lot like your voice. Or mine. He seeks the lost. He desires to place his Holy Spirit within them, to reside within them, to have a love relationship with them, not just in heaven, but here on this earth. And you and I, we get to play a part in that. What a privilege it is. What an honor it is to lead someone in the sinner's prayer, to tell a friend or a family member that there is forgiveness for your sins found in the person of Jesus Christ. God has entrusted us with that responsibility. And as we live by the Holy Spirit, as we remain close to His leading and obedient to His leading, you and I, LifeSpring, we will win people for Christ. We'll also build strong disciples, number two. And we do this in a variety of ways here at the church, including our daily reading plan, our life groups. Our life groups are blowing up. Our, how many people did you have at your life group? You had 11? 11. We just started a new life group and we had 11 people there. How many did you have at your former life group? Like 11? So you had seven and then you moved and now you have, it's like you have more at the, it's amazing. It's like this multiplication thing that's taking place. It's beyond my, my uh, pay grade. I don't even get it. But it's amazing. I think we have like literally 50, 60 people in life groups at the church. But there's uh, various different ways uh, that you can join into this whole discipleship process um, that we have at the church. We build strong disciples through classes, through worship nights, prayer nights, men's group, women's group, prayer groups. We have people in one-on-one mentoring relationships. We have people in accountability partnerships. So we're building strong disciples. A disciple. Who's a, what's a disciple? One that follows Jesus, learns from him, who calls Jesus their master, their teacher. We're growing disciples. Disciples, by the way, who obey the commands of Jesus. That's what 1 John 2, 3-6 through 6 says. We know that we have come to know him If we keep his commands, that we are his disciples, if we keep his commands, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Listen up. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You want to be his disciple? If you claim to live in him, you must live as Jesus did. And if we are truly living like Jesus did, then number three, we will send missional leaders. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was always sending people out. It's true today. Because we love God and love people, we will send missional leaders. Every one of us is to be sent into our communities, sent into our schools, into our families, into our neighborhoods, to shine the light of Christ, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end 
of the age. So a disciple obeys the commands of Jesus, but then he goes and he makes more disciples who obey the commands of Jesus, who go and make more disciples who obey the commands of Jesus. The great commission is accomplished by the replication of disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. The great commission, by the way, ends the day that we decide not to send. So we are sending you out just like Jesus said to the 72 in Luke chapter 10. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And the Lord of the harvest, therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Go. Personally, I believe as a church, we're pretty good at the strong disciple part, the building of strong disciples. Most of our programs and activities are geared around discipleship. But we have room for much improvement in the areas of winning people for Christ and sending out missional leaders. We do. I I don't say this to shame us, but to challenge us. Most of our programs are geared towards us, our needs, our issues. And I like these programs. But what are we doing to point the lost to the living well that will not run dry? To that foundation, that solid rock, to the everlasting life, to Jesus Christ. What are we doing to equip and then release leaders into this broken world? There are those of you sitting here today that are God's answer to that question. See, I believe we are a unique body of Christ. We're not lacking. We aren't missing any body parts. In this body, we all have different giftings. 1 Corinthians 12 explains that the, about the body of Christ and the gifts and how they work in the body and how each gift is important. I recently took a gift... Uh, assessment test and I found out my results of the top three were wisdom teaching and pastor wisdom teaching and pastor guess what I need some people with other gifts to rise up I need people with the gift of evangelism to rise up if you have the gift of evangelism but you're not using it I can almost guarantee you that you are probably walking this spiritual journey frustrated and discontented Because you weren't meant to keep that gift inside yourself. This gift was meant to be shared. And here's the thing about people with the gift of evangelism. They cannot tolerate the idea of people not knowing Jesus. It really bugs them. It messes you up. It drives you crazy. Because that's how God has gifted you. Everywhere you go, you see the world differently than everybody else. You are always trying to find ways and opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And we need you. We need you to play an active part in this body, to teach us, to challenge us, to share the love of Jesus with those who do not know him yet. And this is beginning to happen. I love what we did at Thanksgiving and what we did at Christmas with the outreaches and and life groups serving at local soup kitchens and doing service projects. Recently, I think we have a picture but we had some life, life springers go to Tacoma. I want you to read what these signs say. Tell us your story, we'll buy you coffee. And tell us your story, we'll buy you coffee. They made these signs, sat out on the street of Tacoma, and talked to people, right? Talked, I love that. They were reaching this community for Jesus. You know, I think that's only the tip of the iceberg. I really do. My challenge to you is do not be silent anymore. Rise up. Just like the Lord spoke in Acts 18, verse 9, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. So church, this is our purpose. Because we love God and love people, we will win people for Christ. We will build strong disciples and send missional leaders. Amen? Amen? This should be exciting. I hope that we can live with purpose 
And you know, as we live with purpose, it causes us to live with a certain level of focus, intentionality, and I believe a sense of urgency. When you read your Bible, do you feel the sense of urgency in the words, in the letters on each page? I sure do. When I read Paul, he seems to speak as a man who knows that this life is short. The harvest is ripe and the workers are few. Jesus speaks throughout the Gospels, I believe, with his death, death in mind. His disciples never quite get it. I don't quite understand him. But he's always talking about leaving, how he has to go, how he has to prepare a place for them. He knew that his time on this earth was brief. It's true for all of us. Even if you live for a hundred years in the context of eternity, that is but a blink of an eye. And knowing that you have a limited time on this earth helps a man live with purpose. And I see this in the mighty men and women of the Bible, of the faith, and throughout history. They are not passive in their faith. They did not act like they would live forever on this earth. That this time on this earth was an endless resource that would not run dry. No. They recognized that their time on this earth was short. Like James chapter 4 verse 14 says, You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so they were men and women of action. It took action for Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, for them to walk through the Red Sea. It took action for the Israelites to march around Jericho, to shout and to see it fall, for Peter to walk on water, for Paul to preach to the Gentiles, for Peter and the disciples to witness to the Jews. It took action. Faith without action or faith without deeds is dead. The book of James tells us that when Abraham offered his son Isaac at the altar, his faith And his actions were working together. I love that. His faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Lifespring, it's time that we took action. Last month, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I wanted to read a portion of a letter that I was reading on that day. It's a letter that he wrote, an open letter, uh, from the jails of Birmingham City. This is what he says. I received a letter this morning from a white brother in Texas which said... All Christians know that the colored people will receive equal rights eventually. But is it possible that you are in too great of a religious hurry? It has taken Christianity almost 2,000 years to accomplish what it has. The teachings of Christ take time to come to earth. All that is said, and that's in quote, and this, he goes on to say, All that is said here grows out of a tragic misconception of time. It is the strangely irrational notion that there is something in the very flow of time that will inevitably cure all ills. Actually, time is neutral. It can be used either destructively or constructively. And I'm coming to feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. We must come to see that human progress never rolls in on wills of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and persistent work of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. I have heard numerous religious leaders of the South call upon their worshipers to comply with a desegregation decision because it is the law. But I have longed to hear white ministers say, Follow this decree because integration is morally right and the Negro is your brother. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churches stand on the sidelines and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and and economic injustice, I have heard so many ministers say, those are social issues. 
which the gospel has nothing to do with. And I have watched so many churches commit themselves to completely otherworldly religion, which made a strange distinction between bodies and souls, the sacred and the secular. There was a time, he says, when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. I love that. He says, whenever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than men. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They were too God intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest. Things are different now. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arc supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Wow. I don't want to be known as an irrelevant social club in the 21st century. There are real spiritual issues in our community and we need not be silent anymore. Church, it's time to rise up with purpose and with vision. Because we love God, because we love people, we'll win people for Christ. We'll build strong disciples and send out missional leaders. You know, as much as the church has a purpose, you have a purpose. You do. You have a calling, a God-given destiny. And for each one of us, it's different. Yet they all flow from the same source. God, the maker of heaven and earth. He is speaking to you. He is leading you. I was asked recently, how do you hear God's voice? How do you know that he's speaking to you? A great question. The best way I know how to hear the voice of God is by diving into his word. Know your Bibles. Fall in love with his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the word, by the word of Christ, by the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Do you know what that verse says to me? It tells me that the word of God messes you up. It messes you up. Do you read the same thing I'm reading? It's sharper than a sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging my thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. The Bible speaks to the inner parts of who we are. As you read the Bible, we get stirred up to accomplish greater things. We do. The Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, increases our faith. It teaches us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. It trains us up in righteousness. And as it does these things, as it teaches and rebukes and corrects and trains us in righteousness, it leads us by the Holy Spirit into our God-given destiny. 
It's as if you fall in love with God and his word. And when you do, your eyes just begin to get off of yourself where your life just revolves around you and your issues. And you look up and you see the harvest. You begin to have a heart for others. You begin to show grace and compassion to others. The same grace and compassion that God first showed you. The word brings clarity to situations that before were foggy at best. Many of us were just wandering through life, sleepwalking through life. We all know people like that, don't we? They're in our families. They're in our workplace. Maybe today it's you. But as you read God's love letter to us, the Holy Spirit fills you with faith. He gives you new spiritual gifts. And our young men and women, that begin to prophesy. And our young men and women, that begin to see visions. And our older men and women, they begin to dream dreams. We begin to find purpose and meaning in our existence. In the Bible... We read of these spiritual giants who've gone on before us, who leaned on the everlasting arms of God. As we read, our faith is emboldened. We are encouraged to fight the good fight of faith, to trust in the Lord with all our heart, leaning not on our own understanding. The Bible reminds us to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. Our faith is encouraged that we discover Jesus. Yes, he died, but yes, he rose again. And he's coming back one day to reign forever. He is the soon and coming king. The inspired word of God shows us who we are, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that the number of hairs on your head are all numbered, that we do not need to be afraid. We are of value to the Lord, that he knows my name. We discover that nothing is impossible with God as we search the scripture. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We find that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus that we are more than conquerors that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and we hear God's loud and clear call to every one of us go go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teach them to obey what Jesus has taught you surely I am with you always to the very end of the age And our response to the word of God is yes. It's yes. It's obedience. Lifespring Church, listen up. We are the ones who obey. We are the ones who say yes. Others have come and gone. Tried God for a season. Maybe even feeling some tingles or goosebumps from time to time. But they have fallen away. But we remain. We listen to the Holy Spirit and what he's speaking to us through his word. And we obey his voice. We walk out the calling that God has for our lives. And his calling for you is good because God is good. He's worth everything. He's worth every sacrifice. He's worth every act of obedience. He's worth it. And we say yes to God. There's a quote that I used to keep on my cork board at Life Center North Church in Spokane. It's not a, from a Christian author or even a Christian perspective. But it motivated me every day to work hard for the kingdom of God, for his plans and his purposes. It's from George Bernard Shaw. This is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. I have one of those. (laughs) The being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown on the scrap heap and being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I love that quote. I really do. That, because of that second half, the feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. 
to be honest, that's almost what made me give up on church as a kid. I, I observed this kind of attitude all around me. I saw a bunch of complaining, a bunch of whining. Church seemed to me just a big self-help warehouse where a group of stuffy adults came to talk about their problems and get their needs met. That's how I felt about church. I didn't want any part of it. In fact, I thought in high school it was a big waste of time. Praise the Lord, I had a wonderful upbringing, wonderful parents that showed me the value of living with purpose, living my life for God and His glory and not my own. And also, maybe a little bit of, you know, get the plank out of my own eye before I start judging my brother. In today's life, we don't have to be like that church that I just described. We don't. We can be different. Did you know that? We can. We can shine the light of Christ into our community. We can make a difference. I believe that. I really do. I'm not just telling you that. I believe that we can make a difference. So the question is, what is God calling you to do? You. Not me. You. What is God calling you to do? What is the injustice that you see in your world that makes you miserable because you cannot tolerate it? What is it? God might be calling you to take a stand, to take action. And if it might involve this church, some of our time, some of our resources, talk to me. Make me say no. Make me say no. Guess what? I might say no. We can't do everything here. But I might say yes. Maybe you want to feed the homeless. Or maybe you want to witness to the, on the street corner. Or hand out free stamps, coffee and donuts at the post office on tax day. Or give free oil changes to single mothers. Or to start a teen community center. Build a well in Africa. Help uh, girls all around the world. Uh, rescue them from the sex trade. Help elderly by visiting nursing homes. Or holding a food drive. Collecting baby divers. Other supplies for the local shelter. Maybe God is calling you. In fact, I know God is calling you. He's calling you and it's time to drop the excuses. We use the excuses. Not enough time, not enough money, not enough skills, not enough abilities. We use these excuses. You know what they do? We use these excuses to stay on the sideline. But it's time to get in the game. You have nothing to lose, by the way. We win. We win. You're already on the winning team. The love of God is already on the move in this community. I see it all around me. It's exciting and beautiful. But for you, I want you to experience the abundant life that is found in Christ Jesus. But the abundant life can only truly be lived once we've settled in our hearts to love God and to love others. That's your purpose. How it specifically pans itself out in your life. It'll be unique to you and what God has called you to do. But the root of all of it is to love God, to bring Him glory, and to love those around you. By the way, it's not to watch every episode of Glee or have every Kelly Clarkson song memorized or know how to dance Gundam style. Those are fun things. I love those things. I'm not going to do it right now, but I mean, I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago. We were going for it. You know, it's, it's fun. I get that. And I want you to enjoy your life. But those things on themselves will never, ever satisfy. They won't. Listen to this suicide note by Ralph Barton. He was one of the top cartoonists in the 1920s. He would uh, do those drawings of uh, Hollywood actors and actresses. He left this note fastened to his pillow before taking his life. I have had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I've gone from wife to wife, from house to house, visited great countries of the world. But I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. He wasn't living with purpose. He didn't have purpose. 
We are designed to live lives of meaning and purpose. God created you for something more than just trying to fill your day with all the things and the toys and the the money and the people that you think are going to make you happy. It's time to stop selling yourself short. Answer the call. Run toward danger. Run into the battlefield. Accept the uncomfortable and the inconvenient. Follow hard after Jesus. And I have no promises for where it will take you. Some of you right now, I just feel it. You're feeling the call to go to global missions. I don't know where the call of God will take you. I have no promises, but I can promise you that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He is with you even to the end of the age. And whether you live for five years or 50 years, I pray that every one of us in this room will be able to say that our lives meant something. They stood for something. They were not wasted. And that in the end, we will know we were faithful to the call of God, to his plans and his purposes for our lives. That when we die and when we go to heaven, we will stand before God and we will hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my daughter. Well done, my son. Come. Share my joy. You have a God-given purpose. It's time to say yes. Yes to God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Worship team, would you come on up? Stir us up, Lord, for the things that are not of our own, but are of your kingdom. May the things that are of our flesh, Lord, just be burned, be thrown away. They would be removed, Lord, by your spirit. But that the things of God, the things of eternal value would rise up within us. Right now, I pray for those in this room that do not know you yet, Lord. Those that have never professed you as their Lord and Savior. That today you might be calling some people in this room to profess you as their Lord and their Savior. To begin a relationship with you. A love relationship with you. One where we don't wander through life. One where we don't sleepwalk through life. One where we have intentionality, focus, and purpose. One that is full of your joy. One that is full of your splendor and your wonders and your majesty, your goodness and your kindness, your grace, your mercy. If that's you today, I want to pray with you. I would like to lead you in a prayer. If you want to start that relationship with the Lord today, would you just go ahead and look up at me and maybe raise your hand? of us glad you came today I think God had something he wanted to tell us so God here we are send me we all have our little things our little excuses our ups and downs our Whatever, our addictions or our other sins or our low self-esteem. We all have these little things, Lord. But they've just been excuses to saying yes to you, God. So as a collective body, 
I just I, I see this vision as a collective body that we are laying down the excuses. Whatever that excuse is, maybe just grab it and then let go of your hand. Just open up your hand and release it. Grab that excuse with clenched fist and open your hand, letting it go. We are a no-excuses church, Father God. We want to be ready, willing and able to answer your call. And I pray right now, Lord, for this community. Not, not this one here, but this community. This community outside these walls, Lord. That you'd stir us up for this community. That you'd stir us up even now, Lord, for this community. Stir me up, Lord, for this community. That you give us dreams. You'd give us visions for this community. Even now, Lord. Dreams and visions for this community. Dreams and visions for this community. Dreams and visions for this community. Some people right now, Lord, need a baptism by your Holy Spirit. They need a baptism. A baptism of your Spirit. If you need a baptism of the Holy Spirit, just say, Lord, I, 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 I want your Spirit. I want a baptism of your Spirit. You might need someone to pray for you, to lay hands on you. But just be eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit. He might want to give you a prayer language. He might want you to be able to speak in tongues. For others of you, it might be the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy or the gift of encouragement. Stir the gifts up within us, even now, Lord. Stir them up. If even one person today left here knowing that you had given them a gift that they had not had before, it would be worth it, Lord. How am I even preaching today? A year ago, I had no clue how to even do this. It's you, God. You stirred up a gift within me. The gift of teaching. That was never on my list, ever before. And you stirred it up. I love you. Hallelujah. That's what you do, Lord. You overwhelm us with blessings as we are obedient to you, God, and say, I have no clue how I'm going to do this, but I love you so much that I'm pouring out my life for you, God. Let it be a drink offering for you, Jesus. I pray that over this entire church, Lord, every one of us, new gifts, new abilities, new dreams, new visions. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is speaking to some of you right now. More of you, God. More of you, Lord. More of your Holy Spirit. Just be open to the things of God. More of you, God. More of you, God. Some of you, it might be a posture. You might need to just open your hands or go on your knees. More of you, God. More of you, Lord. More of you, Lord. More of you, God. More of you, Lord. More of you, God. More of you, Lord. More of you, Lord. More of you, Lord. More of you, Lord. Fall afresh upon us, Lord. Fall, af- fall afresh. Holy Spirit. Fall afresh. Holy Spirit.